Thank you. Oh, hey. I'm not sure how funny I am. I, you know, you give me a lot to live up to here. Uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, Pastor Angel, indeed, they are, you are blessed people. I don't know if you know that, but you are overly blessed people. Amen. That's right. Uh, are, are any of you, uh, do you frequent Starbucks at all? Yeah, okay. I figured you did. On Thursday mornings at 8 o'clock, there is the meeting of the minds. And it's the pastors of this town. And we love to be together. And Pastor Angel comes along with a few other pastors. And we have a great time. And we have great conversation. And uh, I won't tell you what all our conversations are about. I'll let Pastor Angel do that. Uh, but we have a great time together. I have been blessed by his friendship over the years. And uh, it is a privilege that he would open the pulpit for me to be able to share God's word this morning. That's amazing. I like to, I'm, uh, I'm Randy. I have lived in Dinuba since 1966, off and on. Uh, I grew up in this town. Um, and uh, it's a great town. Love this town. And uh, uh, I want to introduce my wife, Stacy. If any of you ever work at Jefferson, uh, she was, yeah, she's been working with the Good News Club there on, on, uh, on Wednesdays. And so, uh, love for the city. We've been married in two weeks, 39 years. I know. Wow. It still happens. You say you don't look that old. I, what can I say? We met in high school. She was a junior and I was a senior and it's just been wedding bliss ever since then. Don't believe that. It's been good. It's been a good 39 years. Listen, I want to uh, share some of God's news to you this morning. Are you ready to be filled? Now, I, I just came from Cutler. And the Cutler church said they were the best church. They were the most attentive church. Is that true? Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, this is a great church. Love it. Hey, if you will take your Bibles or your iPads or your phones or whatever you have, uh, if you would turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a familiar story. We're going to be talking about the love of God. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Okay. That's right. How many of you love the people around you? That's going to be questionable. We're going to see how deep God's love really goes into us. Now, God's love is unconditional. Is that correct? And is his love unconditional to all people or just a chosen few? And since God loves us so deeply, it is our privilege to be able to share God's love with the people around us. Am I right? Let's test that a little bit. And we know that God's love is not how the world defines love. God loves us unconditionally, but he doesn't love us to the point where he will condone sin. Am I correct? Therefore, he loves people unconditionally and offers them grace. Let me ask, 
How many of you love, as Christ loves us, that family member that when you get together for times, it's like nails cross a chalkboard when you see them walk in the door. Do you have anybody, family members like that? Do you have any spouses that are like that? We're called to love as Christ loves the church, loves us, right? What about, let's test this just a little bit further now. What about the politician that does not agree with our ways and views? You still love them with Christ's love unconditionally? Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? You see, God's love really can bring in a lot of tension into our lives. When we really have to live out the way Christ loves us to love those around us. What about that person as you're driving around and you see that sign, please help, I'll work for food. What's your first thought when you see that person sitting there? Do you have any thoughts towards that person? Or do you have the thoughts of loving them as Christ loves you? One thing that has really helped me. To understand this is that when I look at the people around me, the ones that irritate me, the ones that I love, is that in Genesis it says God made all people in the image of God. Therefore, when I look at all of you, you are all made in the image of God. We are image bearers of that God. And we are called to love those around us and see them as image bearers of God. Are we not? So let's love. Let's love as Christ has loved the church, as he has loved us. One of the things I think that is worse worse than being an atheist is simply this, is to have a distorted view of who God really is. And then we live our lives in such a way that we really do not connect with God. We don't live our life in the way that he chooses and says that we should live. So we're going to look at a familiar story this morning, the prodigal son. How many of you know the story? You know the story? Forget everything that you know. Because God's got a fresh word for you today. Okay? Because I don't want you to be thinking, I know this story, so I'm just going to make my grocery list in my head. I'm telling you that God has got something fresh for each of us today. Let's start with verse 1, chapter 15. We're going to set the stage because it's important that we understand the setting. It says that the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How dare him do that? How many of you still have an imagination? You haven't lost it. Got an imagination this morning? Okay, here's what I want you to imagine this morning. Jesus is here teaching. All around him, there's a group of people that are standing there. We need to understand the dynamics of what is happening here. He says here that we have, first of all, who? Who's the first people that we, we see? Oh, the tax collectors. They're just those people who collect money, right? They're no big deal. Let me share a little bit of history with you. Any history people here? Well, I'll suffer anyways. Rome was in charge at that, in that time. And Rome was a brutal empire. They ruled all the way from England to India. They had massive amount of land and people that they oversaw. Now I gotta ask you, would a rebellion ever take place during that time? Yes. 
How do you control that large of land? You control it with a large army. This army that were ruled, including the Jewish people, were brutal. I don't know if you know much about the Roman army, but just so they could keep people in the line, it is said in history that they would go into a town that was maybe a little bit rebellious, said they killed 20,000 men, women, and children. If that wasn't bad enough, they would take the men, women, and children, their dead bodies, stick them on poles and line the roadway that would go into the town so that people would know who really is in control. Brutal. Now, how do you finance a large army like that? We all like it on April 15th. Taxes, right? You've got to have money to be able to supply all of this. So, who are the tax collectors? Well, in this community where Jesus was at, it was Jewish people, fellow Jews, who said, we're going to work for the army and we're going to support the empire that is slaughtering our people. Now, do you have the love of Jesus for this person? Would you really look kindly to the person who is collecting money for an evil empire? I don't know. They're, they're standing there. There's their so-called people, your so-called friends. They're here. So they're listening now to what Jesus is about to say. Now, you've got another group of people. Who are they? The notorious sinners. How many people are sinners here this morning? Amen. We all are. Okay. That's not what they're talking about here. We have to understand who those notorious sinners are. These are the crippled people, the people with deformities, the prostitutes. They were a class of people. Nobody liked them. Nobody wanted to be around them. Do we have that in our society today? Absolutely, we do. They're sitting here now listening to the teachings of Jesus. You've got the tax collectors who everybody really hates. And there's someone else. Did you see who they were? The Pharisees. Oh, the teachers of the law. They just, they really didn't like Jesus. Did they? Not at all. Now, the Pharisees, if you think that you are a religious person and you can do everything right, you have to understand something about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, by the age of 12, the boys had, Jewish boys had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are exciting books, aren't they? It's what they had. They actually, has anybody here at the age of 12 memorized all five books? They did. In fact, they had memorized more than that. And they were teachers of the law, and they would pray, and they would give. I mean, they were religious people. And here they are. Can, does anybody feel in your imagination right now the tension that is taking place right here, right now? You've got the rabbi Jesus teaching, sharing stories. You've got the tax collectors. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And then you've got those class of sinners. And they're all at one time listening to the teachings of this rabbi Jesus. I can only imagine the glares that were taking place with one another. What a church. That sounds like church today almost, doesn't it? We kind of glare at each other, don't we? Oh, did you, did you see it? So-and-so is here this morning? We are here this morning to understand the love of our Heavenly Father. Okay, so 
Got that setting now? Jesus is teaching. You got all these people around there? There? Are you awake? Okay. Go to verse 11. And now he begins to tell this story. He says this. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Can you imagine if your son came to you and said, as a younger son, you received one third of the inheritance. The older son got two thirds. Can you imagine if your son came up to you, your daughter said, hey, I know you're going to die soon. So would you give me one third of my inheritance right now? What would be your response to that son? To that daughter? I've thought about that. I have a son. He's 35. If he came to me and said, Dad, I know you're going to die soon and I would like one third of the inheritance. Here's what I would tell him. Two things. One, it ain't going to happen. Two, I ain't got anything. (laughs) So apparently this father had something. Divide it up. I can only you read this story and sometimes you think, well, well, that just sounds like a nice conversation. That can't be a nice conversation. I wonder what led up to this moment of him asking for a third of the inheritance. I wonder if there were some arguments that were taking place, if there was tension and stress in the home. None of you have stress in the home. I understand that. But can you imagine what that must be like? And if you have children, I know there's no stress. Something happened. And that son said, Dad, today is the day. So I'm sure it took the dad a couple of days to gather up his money, gave it to his son, and sent him on his way. How many of you love your children if you have any? Even if when they are rotten to the core. Don't you still love them? I have to wonder about this father what was his emotions like? What was he thinking? What was he doing when he, when he handed over that, that third of the inheritance, the money, to his son? What was he feeling? Was there hurt and pain? Could he have been crying with tears coming down his eyes and saying, Son, I love you, but I love you so much. Here is your inheritance. Go and do what you want to do. Isn't that just like our Heavenly Father? He loves us so much. It's not that we lose our salvation, but but we we can break our fellowship with him. And I wonder if that breaks the father's heart when we walk away. Jesus said the father just let him go. That is an amazing father, isn't it? That would do that. Let's go on. Says a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to the distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. Oh, go figure. Go figure. What? The money ran out. The friends went away. This doesn't last forever. It didn't. Man, the world wants to say this right from the beginning. It says, do whatever you want. You're going to have fun forever. Until the money runs out. 
And our culture wants to make us to believe a lie from the pit of hell that there is joy away from Jesus. Let's go on. It says, at the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Well, let's go figure. There's no buffets going to take you for free anymore, so he has to pay for it. He's hungry. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Wow. Let me ask, has any of you ever reached that moment of desperation? That point of desperation when you know that you know in your heart, maybe you grew up in the church, you've walked away, maybe you're in the church and you're just playing the game, but have you ever come to that point of desperation when all the things that you thought were going to make you happy did not? The father is so smart, isn't he? He's letting his son go and to find out for himself. At some point, you're going to be so desperate. I, the father, I mean, a dad thinks this, right? That you, Come on now, this is not going to last forever. God loves it when we get to a point of desperation, when we have to move back towards him. So I can't do this on my own any longer. I need you. When he finally came to a census, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. Wow. Well, he must have been really at the end of his life. And he says to himself, I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Well, there's a realization there, right? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm out of money. Dad's got money. Dad's got a place. He's got servants. I, I, at least I could be a servant. There's food to eat, a bed to sleep in. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Wow. That is an amazing epiphany for this young man, isn't it? That all of a sudden now he realizes, I need to go back to what I know is true. I can I ask a question? Maybe this morning some of us have had children or grandchildren who have done this same thing. Maybe they know the truth of Jesus. But they have come and they have walked away. And they're out doing all the things that they shouldn't do. Did you notice the father didn't fling himself across the, the roadway and say, please don't go? What did he do? He gave the money and said, Go. Do you, are you hurting because there's someone in your life who has walked away and is not doing what you know? If they would be so, if they would just come back to Jesus, there would be such gratefulness and fullness of life once again. Do you hurt for them? Because if you do, you're hurting as that father in this story. And our Heavenly Father hurts for us. Story goes on, he says, so return home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Now, we've got to understand something here. Culturally, this was just way wrong. This was just wrong. 
Jewish men, well, they wore robes, and it was undignified for a Jewish man to take the robe, pull it up, and show his bare legs, heaven forbid, and run in public. This was unthinkable. Look what his father does. He does the same thing. He pulls it up, his robe, and he runs and he takes after his son. He sees him from afar. Wow. Is that a father's love? I can only imagine here, I put your, again, in the mode of the father. And can you imagine that either in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening, there was anticipation. Is today the day that my son will return? And he walks out to the property line and he looks beyond the horizon to say, is my son coming home? Can I see him out there? I wonder in the evenings as he stood there and he pondered the day's work. If there weren't tears coming down from his eyes. Saying, will this be the day that my son comes home? Just think what must have happened that one night when he sees his son coming from afar. He sees him in the distance. And all of a sudden, that father's love, he gets undignified. He's undignified, man. He says, listen, I see my son coming and I'm going for him. Did you know that's what Jesus does? That's what our Heavenly Father does? He gets undignified. When he sees us returning, he's coming to us. And it says, he greeted him. He was the first one to greet the son. Another piece of history you need to know. When a rebellious son came home, there was a tradition that took place in that you would, the, the elders of the town would come and greet the son and throw a clay pot in front of him. And that was to, to, uh, dignify, or to uh, identify him to say, you are no longer welcome in this house, in this community. You are forbidden to come here. You're ostracized. But look what the father does. He beats the, he beats the community. He's willing to, to pull up his, pull up his pants, he pulls up his robe, run to him, and kiss him. What, what man would kiss another man? In public? In fact, in the Greek, it says it smothered him with kisses. That's an image of our Heavenly Father. He smothers us with, I know men, it's a little weird, but go with me here, okay, will you? He smothers us with kisses because of his deep love for us. When he sees us return, we worship a God who, who loves it when we repent and when we return to him. Oh, what a sight that must have seen. Ben, to see those two engage once again. Awesome, isn't it? Now he said, he said to his son, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Okay, so that's correct, right? The son gets this right. Says, listen, I have. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Check one. He gets that right. He says, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Oh, wait a minute. Listen, there's, there's debate a little bit, but I, I want to say that the son who left was a believer, represents believers in Jesus who walk away. 
They break fellowship with the Lord. You never cannot not be a son or a daughter, right? Even when my dad passed away, I'm still his son. It doesn't matter. No matter what I do, I'm his son. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a son and daughter of our Heavenly Father. That is not broken. But we can break fellowship with him. The son got that wrong. That son got that wrong. He was still the son of this father. Let's go on. But the father said to the servants, quick, quick. I love that. Can you imagine the excitement in that voice? Quick, come on. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. It is party time. For the son of mine who is dead and has is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party start. Amen. Oh, yeah. What does the dad do? Man, he is excited. What does he do? He goes and gets the finest robe. It's like he's saying to his son, the finest robe represents the righteousness. He's saying, listen, you are forgiven. Here is the grace I give to you. You are my son. I welcome you home. He gives him a ring back. Probably pawned the one he had. But that ring, that ring was terribly important. It signified authority. And no, you know, no son of a family would not have shoes. Servants had no shoes, but my son, what does he do? First thing he does, he gives him sandals. It's amazing that God, that father restored everything that that son had lost. Can I say to you this morning, God restores the things that we have lost in our life. And if you think he doesn't, you, again, you have believed a lie from the pit of hell. He restores us. They're having a party now. And I like the thing that he says, and go and get the calf that we are fattening up. Do you think that maybe there was an anticipation of the return of the son? They were way. Dad says, in my heart, I know he's coming back. So let's just start fattening up a calf. I mean, let's massage this thing. Let's give it the best grace. I mean, when my son comes back, we are going to feast on the best tenderloin. We are going to have the best, uh, best food there is. And they celebrated because they returned. I want to ask, have you ever experienced in your life in that moment of desperation when you have actually come back and there's been a celebration of return. Have you experienced that as a church family? You've seen someone come back that has just walked away and said, wow, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the return of this man or this woman, this child. They, let's give them everything. Let's, Let's go on. Meanwhile, the older son, okay, here's the, here's the relational issue. 
was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Woo-hoo! We are celebrating because of his safe return. Wow, we are going to fight. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Listen, do you, you hear what he's, how, how he's doing this to this older son? Your son, not my brother, your son, your money. What do you think you're doing? How can you celebrate it? I've done everything for you and I get nothing. For those in the church have grown up in the church. If there's anyone that we could identify with, maybe more is the son, the older son. How many of you have said this in your mind? You may never say this out loud, but you're saying, man, I have done everything for God. I have done everything right. I have served on every committee. I have given. I read my Bible 12 times a day. I go, when the doors are open, I'm there. And where's my celebration? Where's my recognition for doing what is right? I have gone through all the checklists. I've done everything right. And yet, I get no recognition. Do you know what happens if we start thinking that way? Then all of a sudden... Bitterness takes root in our lives. Unforgiveness. We begin to have division with with friends and family because all the focus is on us. The the worship team did a great job this morning, don't you think? Of moving us to see that it's not about us, but it's about God. We are just selfish people. Let's be honest here this morning. And we we want to look at us. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And then someone does return and someone gets all the accolations and we have a big party. And so, hey, so-and-so's back. Isn't that great? And we think in ourselves, yeah, but what I've done and no one looks at me. Can I ask a question? Do any of you here this morning have a root of bitterness in your life towards the church or towards people in you? Because you've just done everything right. So you deserve something, right? Let me tell you. We have a wrong focus then. Then it's about us. Look at it. The father comes to that son and says, look at, look, you are my son. Nothing has left. Your inheritance is still there. You've done everything. I know you've done everything. And I love you. Can you not see that? I think it's an example here that we have of a, of a person who has done the checklist for their religious duties. But they do not understand the heart of the father. This older brother, this older son did not know his father. If he did, he would not have even acted this way, would he? Man, we got a father who loves us deeply. 
We don't know in this story if the brother ever did go to the party. But he certainly was invited. In fact, it says the father begged him to come in. And it says his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and his, he has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Amen. So I got to ask this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and man, life is hunky dory. Your walk with Jesus is going well. Praise God. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. Maybe some of you are hurting deep within your heart because you have family members or friends who have chosen to walk away. Don't give up on them. Pray for them. Pray for them because nothing is impossible with God. And when they come, I pray that you and this congregation will celebrate to the 10th degree of someone who is restored because that is the business of Jesus. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you've just got a real peace inside of you that maybe you haven't shared before, but it's inside of you. Maybe you are angry and bitter and have unforgiveness either with God or with a church member or the church. It is time to let go of that. It does nothing for the body of Christ when we harbor those type of things in our lives. Amen. So maybe this morning, I know there's a prayer team that will be here willing to pray. If that any of those are you. Come receive prayer this morning. Receive. The father's love. Do you see how deeply the father loves us this morning? It is deep. I just simply leave you with this. There's not a lot you can do other than one thing, and that's to love God. Because he already loves us. If you can't do anything else this morning, it's all you need to do. Is simply love him from within. It's not perfect. But our father doesn't expect that. He expects us to come with an open hand and open heart to say, I love you. He stands here this morning. He stands here this morning with his arms flinging open, ready to receive and to restore. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful for the simple story that you have given to us. Oh, I'm sure that there was tension when you told that story here this, among the people there. Pharisees didn't like the story. The sinners loved it. Father, I pray this morning that we would not reject the love that you so willingly give to us. That we would receive from you this morning as a loving father. As the song that we sang, Lord, we want more of you and we love you. For your presence here this morning, for your Holy Spirit that works in us. May the words that have been said this morning be imprinted upon our heart this week to love the people around us 
as you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.